What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome to episode 25 of the Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, Michael Rothstein, and this podcast is being brought to you by Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts, and whew, that was a great Super Bowl. That was, even though it ended up being a double-digit win for Kansas City, which beat San Francisco 31-20, it was one of the more exciting Super Bowls I can remember watching. And other than last year's New England win over the Rams, really, Super Bowls have been exciting over the past few years. And that's been a benefit for the league, for fans, for people writing about the game, and just casual spectators as well who maybe only tune into one game all year being the Super Bowl, but it all starts with the man who is MVP, and that's Patrick Mahomes, and he just did so much of what he's done all season long, and so did the Chiefs, at least in the postseason. They were down double digits. I can remember times against Tennessee and times against Houston where it was like, wow, the Chiefs are just going to get bounced out of the playoffs really, really quick, and then they just started to roll and they started to come back and things just started to move in their direction and you saw that again in the Super Bowl it was the same script over and over and over again three straight games and so much of it was led by Patrick Mahomes who honestly for the first time in all the times I've watched him play in his career looked really rattled against San Francisco. That's a credit to San Francisco's defense. It's a credit to former Lions defensive line coach Chris Kosarek, who really seemed to be able to get into Mahomes a little bit. But when it mattered, the guy who's already been a Super Bowl MVP, an NFL MVP, and now a Super Bowl champion before the age of 25, found a way to get it done. And, oh, yeah, Kansas City's defense, which is definitely the more maligned of their two units and the one that a lot of times gets some criticism really stepped up in the end. And the guy I kept watching, and this has some effect potentially on the Lions as well, is Chris Jones. Matt Patricia loves nothing more than to have a dominant guy in the middle. Think, you know, Vince Wilfork, who can create pressure on the inside force a quarterback to go outside, and that's when your edge rushers and your ends really clean up. The Lions didn't have that this year. They barely had it last year, and Chris Jones is a free agent. Plus, the other thing that Chris Jones really does well is he's able to extend his arms and bat passes, and you saw that multiple times in the Super Bowl. We'll talk a bit about the draft and free agency later on in this podcast And we don't talk a lot about Chris Jones the rest of this podcast, but if he's somehow available, and I don't know how Kansas City could let him leave, 
I really don't know how that could happen. But if they did, if I'm the Lions, I am making a big-time play for Chris Jones because he can make a big difference in the middle of that Lions defense, and that could change so much for what Detroit is trying to do beyond the fact that it could also change their draft strategy where maybe Derek Brown doesn't necessarily become as important of a key. Maybe a Javon Kinlaw doesn't become as important of a key to try to get, depending on what happens. And again, we'll get into this more later in the episode. But I kept thinking of that over and over again as I was watching Kansas City's defense is what a benefit Chris Jones would be for the Lions if somehow, by some small chance, that were able to occur. That said, I don't think it will happen And I also started thinking about all of the connections the Lions have, or their ex-Lions, rather, within San Francisco, from Martin Mayhew, the former GM, to Lakin Tomlinson, the former first-round pick, to Kucerec, as I mentioned before, and so many others. I think there's around 10 or 11 former Lions staffers or players within the Niners organization. And you kind of have to feel bad for them because they were in control for – two and a half quarters of this game and it looked like they were going to get a Super Bowl and that doesn't even count San Francisco defensive coordinator and Dearborn native Robert Saleh who called a pretty good game at least in the first half as I was talking about before I haven't seen Patrick Mahomes get flustered like that that was a really good job by him and we'll get into his potential future later on in this podcast as well A lot to cover in episode 25 of the Michael Rothstein Show, coming at you right now. So the Super Bowl is over, and the offseason for every team begins this morning. Evaluations will start to take place more fully. Veterans across the league throughout February and early March might lose their jobs or be asked to take pay cuts to stay with their teams. Draft season gets going with more intensity, as do those free agency rumors, and I'm sure we'll hear a bunch of them in the next three to four weeks. And yet, after watching the Super Bowl, there is the age-old question for Detroit. How can the Lions be playing in this game a year from now instead of watching it on TV for the 55th Super Bowl in a row? And don't get me wrong, it's a long shot. There's no doubt about that. Teams picking in the top five usually have a ton of things they need to fix and have multitudes of issues. Detroit has those as well, and we'll get to some of those here in the next couple of minutes. But last week, ESPN colleague Bill Barnwell listed the Lions as one of five teams that could end up doing what the 49ers did, which is go from Senior Bowl to Super Bowl in one season. So how can Detroit be that team? Here's one way I could see that shaking out. It starts in free agency where Detroit should go after a high-level cornerback. There are a few out there who could make sense as a number two to Darius Slay, and that starts with Chris Harris and then goes to Logan Ryan, Byron Jones, and Ron particular is intriguing because he's younger than those other players at 26, and he's someone that new defensive coordinator Corey Undlin is quite familiar with. 
None of these guys will be cheap. And considering the Lions have to decide whether or not to give Slay an extension this offseason, and they're likely going to have to pay Kenny Galladay a pretty big extension, and who knows if they're going to give Taylor Decker an extension, paying one of those guys big money might be a stretch. But landing one of those four could really lock in the secondary as a very feared unit. That would obviously include Darius Slay continuing to play at his high level, Justin Coleman playing more at the level he did at the beginning of the season, and a big jump from cornerback Amani Uwarie, who has a lot of potential and should threaten for a starting job in year two. It's also factoring in a leap from Tracy Walker from his second year to third year and a leap from Will Harris from year one to year two as well. That's a lot of ifs, but setting that back line would really help matters, especially considering how much work they need to do up front to get a pass rush. Now, the other area I would look at in free agency would be the offensive guard spot. Yeah, Graham Glasgow would make a ton of sense, but right now it looks like Glasgow is going to head toward free agency. Brandon Scherf is likely going to cost too much money. Same with Joe Thune, who has Patriots pedigree and is one of the top guards in the league. But maybe someone in their next tier of players, like a Ted Karras. He could be an intriguing, cheap option. So too could longtime journeyman veteran Patrick Omame. He has position flexibility, and he'd likely come cheap. Plus, could be available later in free agency, maybe even after the draft. And that's when you can maybe make a decision because if you take a guard in, say, the second or third round or late in the first round, if you trade back, then maybe you don't have that need for a veteran like an Omame and you don't have to sink cost into there. But they need to have a veteran and not go with a rookie up front because they have good players at center, and Taylor Decker is a good left tackle. Joe Dahl is what he is, likely at left guard, but he can play right guard. And what they do at right tackle is going to be a question between whether or not they keep Rick Wagner, whether they feel Tyrell Crosby can inherit that role, or if they create another spot they need to fill if they moved on from Wagner as a cap casualty. All of that remains to be seen. Third spot I'd handle in free agency is shoring up a veteran backup quarterback. And guys that I look at that could be expensive but not super expensive, Blake Bortles and Case Keenum. They would be intriguing names to me if Detroit really, really wanted to nail down that spot while also taking a quarterback perhaps a little bit later in the draft, maybe a guy like Anthony Gordon, to develop. You might scoff at a guy like Blake Bortles or a guy like Case Keenum, but remember you're not drafting or you're not signing rather a starter here. You're signing an in worst case scenario like what the Lions saw this year when Matthew Stafford got hurt situation. So you're not going to pay top, top money to that guy. Blake Bortles is a guy who's won games in the NFL. So is Case Keenum. Both of them have gotten teams to playoffs before. So Having one of them as your backup all of a sudden gives you maybe one of the best backup situations in the league compared to what the Lions have had the last few years, which is one of the worst. So having handled those three spots in free agency, 
Then I'm going to look at the draft, where if it were me, I would take Isaiah Simmons at number three, especially if I took a corner, if I rather signed a corner early in free agency. And then I'd look at either Josh Uche from Michigan or Bradley Anye from Utah early in the second round as an edge rusher if one of them still happened to be there. It would instantly give Detroit speed and playmaking ability in the front seven. In Isaiah Simmons, it gives Matt Patricia an ultimate chess piece to move around really anywhere between safety and linebacker and even rushing the edge. But of course, if the right trade down were there, I would be open to that, moving down maybe as low as number seven to pick up more draft capital this year and next, maybe even a player or two depending on the right trade situation. A trade with Miami, per se, might land me a second first rounder, where if I took Jeff Okuda or Isaiah Simmons, if they fell to five, then I'd look at adding a player like linebacker Kalevon Chason or defensive lineman Javon Kinlaw, if either one of them were available, say at 18, or maybe offensive tackle Josh Jones, Wisconsin linebacker Zach Bond, or Colorado receiver LaVisca Chenault, if I was sitting at number 26 and one of them were there. And then I would still, if I didn't take an edge rusher in round one, still be able to maybe get Uche or Anye at the top of round two. You add in a developmental quarterback like we were talking about before, and maybe a mid-round running back like, say, a Josh Kelly from UCLA or a Michael Payrine from Florida, and I'm pretty sure I just butchered his name, and maybe add a punter on day three, and all of a sudden you have a good draft class with a lot of potential that... Honestly, maybe could look like the Lions 2013 draft class, which was the best draft class they've had in years. Do all of those things. Maybe find some good depth pieces that are really tough to predict at this point. And the Lions have at least given themselves a chance to make a splash, barring injuries or anything else crazy that happens during an NFL season. It'll take a lot of luck and nailing the offseason for the Lions to make a 49ers-like turnaround But Detroit has some pieces to build around. Guys like Galladay, guys like Matthew Stafford, even a carry-on Johnson, Tracy Walker, Darius Slay, Trey Flowers, Deshaun Hand, even a Jelani Tavai. It just has to hit on every move it makes or darn close to it this offseason to make it right. We'll be back right after this break with some thoughts on the Hall of Fame and then your questions as we usually do in this week's pod bag. We're taking a quick break to tell you all about our new sponsor, Bet Online. So, you missed your chance to bet on the Chiefs and 49ers on Sunday. You watched the game and just shuddered, thinking, oh man, I could have been a big winner if only I had made that move. Fear not, listener. Blue Wire is excited to be partnering with Bet Online to help you win big no matter the time of year. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Baseball opening day right around the corner, that's to me the best four week stretch of the year. Bet Online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Plus, it's never too early to put in a futures bet for the Super Bowl in. 2021. Head on over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's super easy, and if you're already making wagers, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. 
Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bring your best bets home with BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. And welcome back to the Michael Rothstein Show. You may have also noticed the latest Hall of Fame class was announced Saturday night. As usual, no Lions got in as part of the modern class selected by the Hall of Fame committee. But next year, there'll be a player who has a real case to get in. Calvin Johnson. Yes, Megatron is available to go into the Hall of Fame starting in 2021. And if those are your bones creaking a little bit and your mind saying, wait, how can that be possible? Yeah, it means you're getting older. I'm right there with you. There'll be plenty of time to get into Johnson's case, and he has a good one without a doubt, but he will be on the same first-year ballot as Shewins, Peyton Manning, and Charles Woodson, which could make things a little bit more difficult. Johnson was the game's top receiver for a half decade at least. He still owns a big-time NFL record of single-season receiving yards, and he's considered one of the top receivers in NFL history. He's not quite Randy Moss, but he's definitely in that next tier. That said, that first ballot could be tricky, especially because it always seems to be four wide receivers. Here's the list of receivers who got in on ballot number one in NFL history, meaning their first ballot where they were eligible, not the first ballot where they were finalists. Those are two different things, and it would be shocking if Calvin Johnson were not a finalist next year. So let's just stick with guys who got in in the first year of eligibility. They're Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, Paul Warfield, Lance Allworth, Steve Largent. That's it. That's your list. A lot of guys who are really, really, really good didn't get in on their first ballot. That includes Chris Carter. That includes Terrell Owens. And you can make the case whether Terrell Owens should have gotten in on first ballot or not. But there are a bunch of receivers throughout history that have not quite gotten in on the first ballot. Andre Reed being another one of them. So it could be a little tricky. Now, there is a case for Calvin Johnson to get in on the first ballot, even though there is Peyton Manning there and there is Charles Woodson there. Having three first ballot Hall of Famers isn't unprecedented. It's actually happened a lot more recently than it did in the past. It happened in 2019 with Champ Bailey, Ed Reed, and Tony Gonzalez, and it happened the year before that with Randy Moss, Ray Lewis, and Brian Urlacher. And Calvin Johnson was contemporaries with all of those guys. And you can probably ask all of those guys, and all of them will tell you that Calvin Johnson is a Hall of Famer. I'm putting words in their mouth there, but you heard how people talked with reverence about Calvin Johnson when he played. To me, there's no question he is a Hall of Famer. It's just a matter of whether he gets in in 2021 or if he ends up having to wait to 2022 or 2023. So it's entirely possible that a year from now when we're talking, we're talking about Calvin Johnson going to Canton, getting his gold jacket, maybe even ending up playing having the Lions play in the Hall of Fame game because Calvin Johnson gets in. He has a case. He has a really, really good one. And the countdown for one of the best Lions players in history to finally reach Canton, and it would be nothing short of stunning if he doesn't make the Hall at some point, at some point in the near future, 
really starts in earnest right now. We'll talk a lot more about it as there's plenty of podcasts to go until his potential selection here next year. But it's something to keep in mind as things go forward, especially considering the receiver has a very tenuous at best relationship with the Lions at the moment that there's a deadline coming and the clock might be ticking. So Calvin Johnson's candidacy for the Hall of Fame is real and it's something we should start paying attention to. While there weren't any Calvin Johnson-based questions this week for the pod bag, as we do every Monday, this part of the podcast is dedicated to answering questions from you, our faithful listeners. To answer, to ask a future podcast, podcast question, use the hashtag RothShow on Twitter, or just respond below when I put out calls for questions on Fridays and Sundays. Or email the show at Michael Rothstein DM. That's the letter D and the letter M at gmail.com. Now on to this week's questions. Matthew Abramson at Matt underscore D underscore Abramson asks, Good morning. With Matt Patricia's coaching style drawing some criticism recently, do you think there is a change in the player's overall mindset towards coaching in the NFL? It seems like players want a coach that's less off their off that authoritarian nowadays can Patricia's style succeed Matthew this is an intriguing question and I would argue Matt Patricia has changed some already he still works his players hard no one will ever doubt or question that conditioning is still a pretty big part of what Patricia tries to instill in his players but Matt Patricia's first training camp definitely felt way more intense than his second one and it wouldn't shock me if it happens again heading into year three that it becomes more of a mix of player-friendly and what Matt Patricia getting done, what Matt Patricia wants to get done. He's going to bring in more players who already st- understand what his expectation is for preparation on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. Plus, there will be more players already ingrained into the system that know what to expect. I believe that that's a large reason why year two went a lot easier than year one as far as training camp and installation goes and I would imagine year three ends up being a little bit easier than year two I'm a believer that every type of coach can work as long as you win because that's really what matters winning one just has to look at Bill Belichick's style and Pete Carroll's style and Andy Reid's style to show you disparate ways can be effective and you see that across every sport Not every player responds the best to a Belichick or a Nick Saban, just like not every player responds the best to a lighter level of coaching. That's a simple way of saying, yeah, I believe Patricia's way and style can succeed, and starting to win games will cure a lot of it when it comes to being able to make that happen. Style doesn't necessarily matter at all if wins don't come along with it. Just ask a lot of the guys who left New England tried to implement a similar style and ended up losing their jobs. Matt Patricia, he's trying to not become the next in that line this season. Ryan Guzman, who's at Ryan R. Guzman, asks, what is your perfect Lions first round draft scenario? And Francisco Sizor at TribeFan underscore nine asks, what is the dream scenario for the Lions for this draft? Get lucky and Chase Young falls to three and draft him draft def- best defensive player available at three, whether that's Okuda, Sims, or Derek Brown, trade down for at least another first, or stay put and draft to a Tagliavoa. What's your order? 
So I combined these questions because they were similar enough in nature, and we hit on some of it above, too, in what it would take to get the Lions from the Senior Bowl to the Super Bowl, which we just talked about. But for the sake of these questions, I will answer it and hopefully give a little bit more clarity. To me, the dream first-round selection for the Lions is to trade with Miami from number three to number five while also picking up either number 18 or number 26. And if it's 26, perhaps another pick as well either later in this draft or maybe in the next draft. In doing so, the Lions are able to either snag cornerback Jeffrey Okuda, Isaiah Simmons, or Derek Brown at number five because one of them will be there, similar to the pick they would make at number three. Then it ends up, if it ends up being number 18 and the Lions don't take Brown, maybe they find a way to have defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw drop down to them. And I think that would be incredible value if that ended up happening. If it ends up being number 26, then maybe the Lions take a quarterback, say if Jordan Love is there, or maybe some of the other guys that we talked about earlier, like Houston offensive tackle Josh Jones. Or this could be the range, even a high range, for a Josh Uche, the edge rusher out of Michigan. In this scenario, the Lions would make two defensive positions better, and I'd lead defensive player in this instance over backup quarterback over offensive tackle at this point with the roster how it is to build for the future and for the present. There's also another potential scenario where the Lions drop down to number five, and then a team is worried about the Chargers snagging Justin Herbert at number six, so the Lions move down again and add more picks. And depending how far down, say they move down to seven, they would potentially still be able to grab one of the three top non-Chase Young level defensive talents. To me, stockpiling a bunch of picks and still being able to get a guy that maybe you were targeting at number three or heavily thinking about would be the ultimate win scenario for the Lions in this draft. Of course, they can also just stay at three and guarantee themselves a very high-level player. As for Francisco's scenarios, to me, getting Chase Young at number three would be number one on this list just because I think it can be that high level of an impact defensive edge rusher I think he can be a high level playmaker he could open things up for Trey Flowers he could open things up for Jared Davis he will get more pressure on quarterbacks which will make life easier for Darius Slay and whoever is playing cornerback opposite him and that can change so much for a defense that needs pressure especially if Matt Patricia is still not going to blitz if he's going to keep playing his defense how he does he needs a guy who can get there on his own and Chase Young is a guy that can do that so to me Chase Young is number one on that list if you can get him I've been sold on him for a while if Young isn't there which at this point it's not expected he will be I'm trying to trade down but not too far down so I can't still grab one of the top five defensive players on my board or say a C.D. Lamb or a Jerry Judy if I really felt the value was better there. Both of those are high-level receivers and would really solve potential future receiving issues with Marvin Jones and, at least for now, Kenny Galladay being free agents after 2020 and Danny Amendola unsigned. But I would look at defense first. So trading, say, with Indianapolis in the middle of the round, that would not do it for me right now. But I would try to trade down. Of all of your options, my last one would be to stay put and draft Tua Tagliavoa. Again, not that I don't think Tua Tagliavoa can be a great player. I think he can. Mostly, I just think it's both a small possibility right now, 
on February 3rd that that happens. And secondly, I do have injury concerns with him. Not only the hip, but he has been beaten up a lot before. And first-round picks, especially in the top three at quarterback, don't always pan out. You know, for every Matthew Stafford or Carson Wentz, you've got an Achilles Smith out there. And sure, Tua is like a can't. A lot of people thought he's a can't miss guy, but those injury concerns have to be worrisome. So while you have a quarterback, unless you're absolutely planning on getting rid of your quarterback, and with everything that we've talked about over the last few weeks on this podcast, I find it highly, 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 highly unlikely that they would move Matthew Stafford at this point. I just can't see taking Tua, not with needing to win this year. Now, a lot can happen between now and the draft, but right now, I just can't see it. Brandon Searhall, who's at B Searhall on Twitter, asks, what are good hotels in Tampa? Need to reserve now for the Leo's run next year. So, Brandon didn't know what the top of this podcast was going to be about, but he kind of guessed it, I guess. I don't expect this to happen. Let's just be clear, but I'm going to entertain the question. And Brendan, like most sports writers and business travelers, I'm a Marriott Bonvoy person through and through. Lifetime titanium status. I've had it for years. So that's be, that would be where I would start. It's no Darwin's, and I don't think you're going to be behind the bar slinging drinks anyway. So unfortunately, these hotels would have to do. And if you're a listener of this podcast who happened to go to Syracuse, Darwin's was a bar at Syracuse that Brendan worked at, that I actually worked at with Brendan. It's unfortunately no longer in existence, but Brendan was one of the best bartenders I had when I was at Syracuse, and Darwin's was my favorite spot at Syracuse. May its memories live on. As to your hotels, I've stayed in a few Tampa properties in my time, and Le Meridian, the JW Marriott downtown, and the Renaissance Tampa would be top my list of places to stay. But remember, the lines are a long, 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 long way off from the Super Bowl at this point. So if you're going to make that booking, make sure you can get your money refunded too. Randy Voicenet, at Randy Voicenet on Twitter, asks, Who do you think scores the winning touchdown of the Super Bowl in 2021? Kenny Galladay from a Matthew Stafford bomb or Jeffrey Okuda on a pick six? Y'all are really big on the Super Bowl kick. I guess it's because the Super Bowl was yesterday. Tying with Brendan's question, the safe answer is none of the above. But in your very, 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 I hope that was enough varies for you, unlikely scenario that this happens at this point. Give me Matthew Stafford to Marvin Jones for a game-winning touchdown. It's just something that would seem right and seem fitting with the two longtime veterans making that happen. But again, we're a long way off from that here. And if we're being real, it would probably come down to a Matt Prater field goal anyway. Come on. Let's just be honest. Nah at N-A-H-B-I-C-H-H on Twitter asks, this is really early, but if the Lions were to fire Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia next year, who would be your top choice to replace them? So we've gone from the Lions being in the Super Bowl to the Lions having a complete regime change. And I think this is still a very, 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 less varies, early question, and so much can happen between now and then, plus the likely complete overhaul of a general manager and head coach would make this even more impossible to answer. So I'm going to tell you to check back with me here at midseason if this scenario still ends up mattering. 
But I will say this. Historically, in the NFL, teams usually pendulum swing from what they had before in a prior staff that didn't work and what they're looking for in a new staff. You saw that with the Lions over and over again. And you've seen it with teams all across the NFL. Do I always believe that that's the right way to go? No, I don't. But it's just how NFL teams think. One of the most attractive candidates for the next cycle would likely also be a non-starter in Detroit, as it would be difficult to see Martin Mayhew making a return to the Lions. But he should get some real looks here after what San Francisco did in the 2020 season. Other than Mayhew, it would be way too early to hazard a true guess on either spot. And as I said, he's a non-starter. But as far as coaches... You're going to hear some more non-starters from me at the top, and that's Jim Caldwell and Jim Schwartz. Again, very, very unlikely, if not impossible, to happen. And then I'd look at Eric Bieniemy and Robert Saleh. The issue with Robert Saleh and Eric Bieniemy would that be that if they do pendulum swing, they probably want someone who's been a head coach before. And if they really want a pendulum swing again, Saleh is a defensive coach, and... Matt Patricia's defensive coach. So they would have to buck their own historical trends in order to make that move. Again, should any of this happen? And it's way too early to predict any of this because a year ago, who would have thought Joe Judge would have been a head coach in the NFL? And who would have thought that Robert Sala would have been a head candidate at this point? So a long way to go there, including the fact that it's entirely possible that Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia do enough to keep their jobs for 2021. Brendan Crow, who's at Bren3669, asks, Do the Lions expect Marvin Hall to develop into a starter, or is he more of a one-trick pony? It's a good question, Brendan, and we haven't seen Marvin Hall's full maturation since he got hurt before the end of the year, but from what I saw watching him in games and in practice— He's a deep threat who still has a lot to learn with the rest of the route tree. And if you're going to be a top three receiver on the Lions, especially under Daryl Bevel, you need to have a more expansive route tree than what Hall currently possesses. He has a chance in the offseason to really make a move there and potentially win the number three or number four job. And he's got a real chance for growth and his speed is undeniable. But that route tree has to expand beyond that once a game deep threat he now is. That's nice for a number four or number five receiver, but to get up to number three or better, he needs more. And otherwise, he gets red pretty fast because tendencies and corners in the NFL are able to pick things up pretty quick. Johnny Vegas, who's at three daily picks on Twitter, asks, both all pro tight ends in the Super Bowl have swag. How does Big Hawk, otherwise known as TJ Hawkinson, get on that level? Johnny, you might not see it because TJ Hawkinson is pretty quiet in front of the media. For example, at Locker Cleanout Day, when a lot of guys talk, TJ Hawkinson said he would talk to us tomorrow when I very kindly reminded him that he won't be around tomorrow, we won't be around tomorrow, and that we won't see him for months. He basically said he'd get us tomorrow, and then I asked him if I could get in touch with him tomorrow and he basically was like yeah I'm kind of just trying to get out of talking right now and he ended up not talking but for a rookie to pull that shows how much confidence he has and he has a confidence in him that can serve him well as his skill set improves provided that he can stay healthy 
you saw in on the field in his hurdling that did get him hurt against Kansas City, but that showed that he really believes in himself that he could jump over a defender, for instance. He won't be outspoken like Gronkowski, and he doesn't quite have the personality of George Kittle, but the confidence is not an issue. It's just a quieter confidence than his predecessor, Eric Ebron. Hawkinson reaches the Kittle-Kelsey level by having a massive jump in year two, and his numbers were almost spot on to Hall of Famer Tony Tony to Hall of Famer Tony Gonzalez in Tony Gonzalez's first year. And Gonzalez played basically the whole season. He wasn't hurt for a quarter of the year like Hawkinson was, so Hawkinson's numbers should have been even better. Hawkinson has said publicly that he'd like to work with Gonzalez to improve his game after reporters I believe it was the Detroit Free Press, it might have been M Live as well, down at the Super Bowl asked Tony Gonzalez about TJ Hawkinson and Tony Gonzalez said he'd love to work with Hawkinson and Hawkinson seemed to have wanted to take him up on that offer. So that's only a good thing for Hawkinson because if you remember another highly touted Lions player who struggled as a rookie went and got some tutoring from a guy named Rod Woodson. That guy was Darius Slay and now he's one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Doesn't always happen like that, but it does happen. Same thing with Marvin Jones and Randy Moss. It can only help. And by the way, if you're curious who taught Tony Gonzalez how to become a pro, that would be Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon from their from Moon's late days and Gonzalez's early days with the Chiefs. That was a story that the late Gunther Cunningham was telling me a long time ago. So if Hawkinson can get in that lineage, it can only help him. Because knowing how to be a pro is half the battle to becoming a really good pro. And lastly, Jacob I. Vasquez at Lots of Scotch asks, is it just me, but is it just as important to solidify the offensive line as that of the pass rush? I would love to upgrade the talent at offensive tackle. Thoughts? Well, Jacob, the Lions have spent a lot of time working on their offensive line. Years, actually, since Bob Quinn took over as general manager. He's revamped all of it, in some cases twice. Some of that's worked well. Frank Ragnow looks like he was a heck of a pick and could end up being a Pro Bowl center. Joe Dahl, for a fifth rounder, needed a lot of work. He's been pretty serviceable and got an extension. Those two guys come to mind, as does free agent to be Graham Glasgow, who likely won't be a Lion two months from now. Taylor Decker has been good, not great, a left tackle. Signing TJ Lang ended up being a mistake, not due to Lang's talent when he was on the field, but injuries that just kept him off of it. And Rick Wagner at right tackle has been fine, but not to the level of his market-setting deal at the position. If the Lions were to move on from Wagner this offseason, like I hinted at earlier, Tyrell Crosby would get a chance to replace him at right tackle. But they'd also bring in competition, whether that's through free agency or the draft. There's also a chance an early draft pick could go to being a tackle, whether it's a right tackle or a left tackle, that if they, say, cut Wagner, could then push Decker from left tackle to right tackle. Kind of what they did to Riley Reef a, a few years back when they drafted Taylor Decker. Maybe that second pick in the first round, if the Lions do trade, ends up being a tackle, like I was talking about Josh Jones, or maybe a second-round pick or a third-round pick. And it would be even better if that right tackle can slide to left tackle if Detroit chooses to move on from Taylor Decker after 2020, or if Decker is able to make that move to right tackle. I know all of that was just confusing, but 
basically that's the point when it comes to the offensive line. And by the way, it's not Madden-like where you can just plug a guy in at one tackle and it's the same. It's a really hard job to switch tackles because it's basically like doing everything in a mirror. Cornelius Lucas, the former Lions player, explained it to me because he was making that move. And he's like, it's basically like unteaching yourself all of your lead steps and then reteaching it. And it takes time. So just understand that as well. But to me, tackle isn't even the biggest problem at the moment. The biggest hole at the moment is at guard, where Detroit needs to figure out what it's going to do, period. Does it trust Ode Abouche or Kenny Wiggins, both of whom are free agents, to come back on a cheaper deal and basically handle that right guard spot? Does Bo Benchwall, the undrafted free agent who the Lions are really high on but barely saw any time last year, does he win the job and hold down the position? To me, I'd want someone more established and consistent. And I'm guessing Detroit really would too. Should that person be Glasgow? In a dream scenario, yeah, it, it probably should. And it probably should have been handled a year ago. But Glasgow is going to likely go to free agency at this point, And he should get paid well by somebody during that period. Just, I don't expect that pe- person to be the Lions. All of that is to say that, yes, the offensive line is still important, but fixing the defense, to me, is more pressing when it comes to getting the Lions to the playoffs in 2020. And that does it for another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. Thanks to our sponsor for today's show, Bet Online, and to our continual host for this show, Regents Field, at 204 South Main Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where you should come by for some great food specials and trivia. On Monday nights, much appreciation to our producers, Stephen Arkinall and David Woodley. Check out my work on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist, and on ESPN.com. As always, if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, or do whatever it is that you do on your podcast platform of choice to let us know that we are doing a good job and also who you want to hear from in the future. And with that, we'll chat with you on Thursday.